What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and host of the What to Know podcast show. And today I have not just a special guest, but someone that I've worked with and uh, really enjoy the fact that we're talking again after all these years. Her name is Kelsey Carroll, and she is the founder of Stand Up Stations, or co-founder, I should say. Welcome, Kelsey. It's uh, a lot of fun to have you on the show. I'm so honored to be here. And I'm not saying that facetiously. I I appreciate that, but you've done some amazing things, and I'm really looking forward to helping to tell your story. And I guess I always like to start with people's backgrounds and Jermaine because of the fact that we did work together. Uh, we also have something in common in the fact that we're both Georgetown Hoyas, which I know we bonded about early days. Mm-hmm. But let's talk a little bit about how what you've done has set you up for what you're doing now, which we'll get into and what stand-up stations mean. So you and I first met at a company called WCG, which is now W2O and or an entity within W2O. Uh, At the time, you were working on some technology clients, uh, Hewlett-Packard being one of them. You eventually left and went to work for Hewlett-Packard and were there for several years before branching off and starting your own company, uh, which I think you had one before the pandemic hit, right? And Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about, you know, from your marketing, advertising, social media. I know that was a strong suit of yours. You helped us stand up the HP social media newsroom, you know, what is, what did you learn along the way that's led you to where you are today? It's really hard to sum up, you know, in a soundbite, what I learned with you guys at W2O Group. I mean, I think it's such a great environment for people who are, you know, any point in their career, but especially people starting out their career, because, you and Jim and Bob definitely empower um, the younger people. We don't feel like we're we're in a box of you know you can only do this. I think you guys definitely let me um, just explore uh, you know the different parts, whether it be creative, account management, pitching ideas. I always felt like I was heard, and I think that you know if I had continued my career in marketing, that would have been awesome. But you know not everybody continues in the career that they're in, uh, you know, when they, when they start, when they're in their twenties. And so I think that it was just such a solid foundation. Um, But I think just the, the confidence that you guys instilled in me and somebody asked me how long I was worked there. And I was like, I guess it was only two years, but it just seemed like so much longer because it was for me, like right out of college. And so, you know, you go to high school for four years, college for four years. And then I did this, you know, as my, I guess my like little graduate, program mini MBA starting out. Um, And so I think that, yeah, just the confidence to be able to pitch your ideas, to go with it. If you're willing to do the work, that's what I learned. Well, I appreciate that. And I definitely wasn't fishing for compliments, but that is true. (laughs) And I do remember that while you were there for two years, you definitely made a big impact. You were working in an area that was the marrying of analytics and creativity, but also looking at what was possible And so, you know, I'm not shocked that you are where you are today. And I always knew that you were a hard charger between being an athlete, because I think you were a big time runner, you know, being at Georgetown and then taking the career that you had at W2O and then advancing that to HP. So 
congratulations on all that success. And it's nice to see that you are where you are. To that end, uh, you have some nice media clips that you've linked to off of your site. I was very impressed with all the media coverage you've received, although not surprised. And uh, one of the things that I really was struck by is you had this business that you started with your husband, um, a company called Toss Up. And I actually was a little jealous because I was like, oh, that looks like that would be a lot of fun. It's like this giant cornhole game, right, that, you know, people throw and all of a sudden the pandemic hit and you had to pivot. So maybe let's rewind and talk a little bit about how you started Toss Up and then what that meant when March came along and you realized there weren't going to be a whole lot of live events happening anytime soon. Yeah, I think, I mean, you guys probably felt it too with the live events, but, you know, as far as starting Toss Up events, like, um, in the marketing world, you're exposed to South by CES, um, you know, all these brand experiences. I had the pleasure at HP to work on Discover, which was their customer conference twice a year in Vegas and London and Madrid, and just making it an awesome brand experience for the customers and the guests. And so we thought like, how could we bring that to sports, which we had a real big passion for. So, uh, (laughs) you know, in the beginning we were like, oh, you know, how could we get brands to pay for this. Nobody's really asking for it. But over the three years, we built it from just setting up a game, which is like essentially a huge cornhole game to having like a tennis game in which we did at the US Open or a football themed game, which we did for the Dallas Cowboys and and the Vikings. And, And it's just like these brands that we got to work with was amazing and we had built it up to this like okay we're, we're a real company now we're, we're working with these global brands like pepsi um and then we had one of our biggest weekends ever in march it was march 11th 2020 i think you know my mom was in europe on a vacation and uh trump comes on tv and says this is a global pandemic we're shutting down all the airports which ended up not being true but uh and we're just like oh crap it's over. That's it. We weren't like, oh, maybe, you know, in a couple of weeks, we we're just like, no, that was it. Well, and at this point you have two young children, right? You're in this business with your spouse. And so you have a lot of eggs in the basket. Um, you pivot to this new company that is called Stand Up Stations. So I guess let's start by that. And then I have a follow-on question because while it was brilliant, I'm amazed at the same time as toilet paper and other things started to disappear. Hand sanitizer was one of those. So tell us a little bit about the business and then let's talk about how, you know, in the midst of everything disappearing, you were able to find this precious commodity and, you know, then build a business around it, which again, very clever and very timely. To think, just to reflect back now about all the ingredients that had to happen in order for us to be, you know, with stand-up stations and have it be a real company and be able to uh, serve the market in that way. I mean, we, we kind of still had like hope that maybe in a couple of months live events would be back. And we didn't really know much about coronavirus at the time. It was, you know, you didn't even want to like touch it, you know, anything, see anybody. And so we're like, okay, what are things that are going to help people feel more comfortable? And one of them was hand sanitizer stations. And how could we kind of bring our marketing expertise into that? And this would be like set up at a stadium and it could be sponsored by, you know, P&G or whatever Clorox brand. And this would be like, 
the stadium wouldn't have to pay for it. Just the hand sanitizer company would have to pay for it. And then essentially they're like sampling the product and everything. And so we're kind of like, okay, we're serving a need because this is going to be a, a, a pretty big thing. And, you know, we could think of a creative way for, you know, the, the customer not have to pay for it. So as far as procuring the hand sanitizer, <laughs> this is like these things that, you know, behind the scenes. So obviously you can't just like, we didn't just go to the store and buy it. Um, we started doing research on LinkedIn actually. And um, there were several chemical companies and distilleries that were pivoting as well um, to making hand sanitizer since there was the shortage. And so we found this guy actually in California who owned this chemical company, Nugentex. So it's in Northern California. And uh, Alex, my husband, who's my business partner, um, he found the guy on LinkedIn, found his cell phone number, basically called him every 10 minutes until he called him back. And so that was probably like a day and a half of him just calling him every 10 minutes. And I think the, the reason that we got them to sell to us when they're trying to sell to everybody else in the world is the volume that we bought. So with our personal credit cards, we bought $90,000 worth of hand sanitizer gallons. Um, and I think the other thing that helped us is that we knew that it wasn't going to be like the, the perfect Purell smell that everybody wanted. We're like, okay, we just need something that's going to do the job um, and that we can offer. At first, we offered it as a package. You got the stand, the dispenser, and the, the gallon of sanitizer, and that whole package was like $600 or five, $550 or something like that. And so we weren't just trying to like buy sanitizer, mark it up. It was like, how do we get people to, you know, how do we get this for people as a service that they were having a hard time getting themselves? Well, that's a great story. I guess one of the things I'd love to hear is in the pandemic, as the world is melting and people are trying to figure out what's next, how did you convince some of the people? Because the idea is, is it's a stand-up dispenser that you can actually brand and you do the branding for them, right? So how did you get some of your sponsors? And I know you've got some you know, pretty amazing logos on your site to trust in the fact that this was a good idea, that this was going to be a service that they could sort of co-promote with you at these different locations. And I'm assuming that's where you sort of opened up your Rolodex of all these great people that you had made connections with over the past several years, right? Yeah, I mean, I think during, you know, at the time we we're like, okay, this is how they can reopen. A lot of these places aren't even, you know, open again or, or they've closed since. But I think there were so many unknowns. Um, we knew with the virus that it was, you know, if you, ventilation was a big thing, but you can't really show that you're cleaning the air, right? It's invisible. And so we even thought like, hey, you know, just put this in your store and it will show people and remind the customer that your whole store is clean. The air is clean. And it's it's more of like a vote of confidence. Obviously, the sanitizer like will kill the germ on germs on your hands. But I think that, you know, we had this idea that corporate responsibility, health and wellness would be a, you know, a trust factor for whether you're an employee at an office or you're, uh, you know, somebody at a restaurant, that, that would be a huge factor in people trying to like, you know, keep them, get them out of their houses again and feeling safe. Well, I think it's a great service that you're able to provide. And one of the things that I think was also helpful is you were an American business in the midst of this. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be 
supporting you know our global economy but given the fact that we were very hard hit by this and i think a lot of people in general on both sides of the aisle want to be able to support american um what has that been like and i would have to think that's helped your cause you know you're out of dallas texas you have a workforce that's all out of dallas and you know you and your husband are from the us and so you know, I would think both probably from getting a PR as well as selling into some of these businesses, that's been a nice little entry point because of the fact that people are so committed to wanting to support our local economy. For sure. When we first started this, we were celebrating the fact that we were able to bring back, you know, the employees that we had to furlough due to all of our events being canceled. Um, and so it was like, well, if we can just keep them employed, then that's that's a huge win. When we started working with the welder who was um, building these and powder coating these, he had to, you know, hire more people. And so you're seeing that effect um, just in his welding shop. The company that we use to print all of the decals and all of um, the stands and things like that, they, you know, had nothing to do <laughs> to do in March. They kind of their business shut down because they did large scale uh, printing for events. And so, you know, we were able to give them a lot of business. The PR agency that we hired. They did a lot in movies and movie premieres, and that was not happening. And so uh, we were able to get them on retainer, you know, for a couple of months. And so just to see the impact and all the the tentacles that we were were um, you know able to support, that was huge. And that was before we you know sold however many um, we did before we've like made money or anything like that. But just to see that impact was really cool. And I think that what we write, you know, in every box that we send is a card with Alex and I, and it says your order helps create American jobs, which is very true. And that's what, that's what we're doing. Well, it's amazing. And I know to that end on one of the interviews, it was a, I think the ABC interview that I saw, you mentioned that you have 13 employees and that you're growing. Um, I'm sure that also feels good, but let's talk about what's next and uh, any chance that toss up does come back to life, probably in conjunction with stand up stations in the future. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's about toss up events. I mean, it's just live events. It's so hard to see the future of right now because everything is, is going digital and our toss up events was going against the grain in that you know, you go to an event, you don't want to put your head in your phone. You don't want to put a headset on that's sweaty and everybody else did. Okay, I'm going to see, do this whole AR experience. Like it sounds good to executives, but really for the person who's going to the event, they just want to like hold their beer and, and throw a football and have fun with their friends or take a picture or something like that. So that was very, we were going very analog with that experience and there was a digital component, but uh it's hard to think of that in, in this new world. And I think that the ability, I'm, I'm more giving this compliment to my husband, Alex, but like the ability to not be romantic about a business or something that's failing and then try to keep it alive just because uh, the ability to just kind of like cut it loose and, and move on, which is something that we've, you know, had to do. Obviously, stand-up stations is going great, but we kind of didn't really have a chance to mourn the loss of toss-up events, which we spent three years. We invested a lot of our own money into. Um, and so we, we, yeah, I don't know. I mean, question mark, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see. Well, that's okay to have a question mark. And I guess that's a good transition to the next question because I think one of the lessons that you just touched on 
is not being too romantic or falling in love. And you could have done that and you could have tried to find ways to make it virtual or AR, VR. And instead you said, you know what, let's go find something that people need. Let's actually right. be part of the solution. Let's bring jobs to Americans and, you know, make sure we're keeping people employed and, you know, kudos to you on that. But I guess related, there are a lot of other people that are in the situation that you and your husband, you know, were in that probably have not yet been able to take that leap. And so, but they may have this entrepreneurial spirit. What advice, maybe two or three things that you would share in terms of lessons with them that really helped you have the confidence to do this and has helped you build a successful business along the way? For sure. I think speed uh, speed to market is the number one thing. Like we said, like I said about the sanitizer, you know, we could have waited till we have like the perfect formula that, you know, uh, won all these awards or had all these amazing reviews. But at the time, people just just needed it. Nobody was asking us to do a live event. Right. Nobody was asking us to come and, and set up. We, st- we still like haven't you know gotten any calls from our clients for toss up. So it, that wasn't something that was needed. What was needed was um, this, you know, PPE hand sanitizer, sanitizer stations. Um, and so we kind of ran it. We listened to the market and, and ran in that direction as fast as we could. I like this analogy. I was thinking about that when I read the question. So in high school, I started running cross country my freshman year. And there was this hill called Cardiac Hill in the 5K course. And, uh, you know, it was legendary and we didn't practice it at all. Cause I think our coach was like, if you, you know, if you practice it, if you see it, you're just gonna, you're gonna give up. So I heard all this legend and everybody's like, yeah, everybody walks up the hill. Everybody walks up the hill. And I was like, okay, so if I just don't walk, <laughs> I will pass all these people. Even if I'm running like the slowest humanly possible, I'll, I'll at least pass people who are walking. And so I, I just say that to equate to back in March and April, I'm like, everybody stopped totally understandably. So it was like insane, crazy. I, I wish I would have written a journal during it. Cause it was like, obviously so bizarre and will be studied for many, many decades. But yeah, I think if we were just like, if we just move forward in a direction, we will be passing all of all the competition. And now in November, there is a lot of competition in hand sanitizer and hand sanitizer stations. But I think just being keep moving forward at, you know, the rate that we were allowed us to hit the market quicker. Well, I love the analogy and that's good advice. I also think there's probably some stick to right? Because I, I love the story of your husband calling the hand sanitizer supplier every 10. I have like a million of those little anecdotes too. Well, it's important, right? And sometimes it is easy to give up because it's like, well, no one has hand sanitizer. And I also like the pragmatic angle of good enough. I mean, obviously you want to make sure it wasn't uh, melting people's skin off, but it also oh, yeah. wasn't this beautiful, you know, nice smelling. And it's funny because I remember Tito's, I lived in Austin, you lived in Austin when we met, the Tito's was one of the first alcohol, you know, distributors or or makers, distributors to go the hand sanitizer route. And I actually saw recently, because I was just in Austin, uh, driving my son back, uh, there was a bottle of hand sanitizer and said, please do not drink, right? So... (laughs) Um, all of that said, I do want to move to the final portion of the show, which is really the more playful portion. And I have a couple of questions that I've been asking. One is a little bit new during the pandemic, and it's on the optimistic front. And that is, if you could have one wish, uh, what would that be and why? 
The first thing that comes to mind, if I had one wish, would be to live a long, happy life and have really good relationships with my children. That's a good one. That's a simple one and has a pretty good chance of coming true. So keep doing the things you're doing and uh, hopefully you'll get there. The next one, which I make sure everyone does look at beforehand, because even though it's sort of a simple question, uh, it can wrap some people up. And really the idea is the process by which you get there. So the question is, you're stranded on the proverbial deserted island. Uh, You can only bring one album with you. Which album would you pick and why? (laughs) Making my point. (laughs) No, I I have an answer, but then I'm like, wait, what if I want to try to sound cool? Um, No, my first CD, I was the youngest of three kids. So I got just like my older brother's. Um, It was Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. That was like my first... CD. And I still listen to that album all the time because there's just so many great songs on it. You got obviously ironic one hand in my pocket, you know, it's the best. She's the best. It's a great choice. And it's funny because as I mentioned, I went and picked up my son. He'd been living in Austin and we drove back to California, had a chance to listen to a lot of music for the 23 hours that we were on the road. And one of the things I did is I went back to my first CDs because I get a CD player. This is in 1989. So I'm not even sure you were born at that point. Um, and he, I walked him through sort of Living Color and Sinead O'Connor. And I had Led Zeppelin four, which I had owned as an album ahead of time. But it was fun to do a little bit of his music, my music, and, and bouncing back and forth. And fortunately, both of us had a good, healthy respect. But Jack, What is he doing in Austin? What's up? What's he doing in Austin? Well, he's back here now. He went basically to go and make music and get a job. And unfortunately, like you, he landed just as COVID happened. And so he got there, everything locked down. And fortunately, one of his best friends and best friend's family was there. So he did get to hang out with them, but didn't get to do a lot of the stuff that he would have liked to have done because of the fact that COVID changed things. So he, like you, pivoted and he's coming back and he's got a whole different set of plans. But um He gave it the old college try, so to speak. I'd love to hear more about what March was like for you, but I know this is, I'm the guest, but I I can give you, I I don't mind. And it's funny because uh, Maya, who does the social for this and actually does a lot of the behind the scenes, uh, who, you know, Maya Ollie, Mm -hmm. she sat down with me yesterday and we did a special Thanksgiving edition. So hopefully everyone that's watching this and listening to this has already listened to that. And she, you know, got to ask me questions about past episodes. I guess the short answer is uh, we were in the same boat. It was right before South by Southwest, which is a huge deal for us. We plan a lot. We have a lot of clients that come down. We fly a lot of our employees down to Austin to, to participate. So we were chewing our nails leading right up to that since that was supposed to happen and they did not cancel South by Southwest until literally, I think it was five days before Yeah, I remember that. So that was crazy. Um, We immediately jumped into how can we help, right? We're a healthcare focused agency. And so one of the things that we immediately did was we started to work on an emergency ventilator project that converted old sleep apnea machines. We jumped into uh, securing masks, right? PPE with this company called, Mm -hmm. or this group that we put together called NEAR, started by one of our board members. Um, we started to, we created a dashboard that allowed people to track real-time conversations because one of the issues, as you probably remember, is there was tons of disinformation out there. So if you could segment by healthcare professionals and trusted media and, 
you know, um, drug companies, then you could at least have a little bit of a lens on top of what you were seeing. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, we had a lot of clients that came to us and they're like, what do we do? And, you know, no one knew how they were going to move things forward. You couldn't do clinical trials. Uh, if you were, you know, getting drugs out into the market, you know, you needed to be able to talk to doctors and explain what it was you're doing. So it's been a busy last nine months for us. And, um, you know, I hate to say that there's any kind of a silver lining for something that's killed whatever it has been, 250,000 people and yeah. like thousands, if not millions of people out of jobs. But it has been something where it's really refocused people on health. We've been able to help along that journey. And I think, you know, I was talking to my son about this the other day that he said, you know, dad, I think one of the, the benefits of COVID is that it's really got people to simplify and focus on what's important. And so back to your point about talk yeah. up and the analog piece and sort of getting away from digital and reconnecting with human beings. I think that's been a huge benefit. And even though we joked about the zoom box up front, I've connected with people in ways, I mean, just connecting with you, normally we would probably have done this on yeah. the phone, right? So it's really nice after all these years to be able to do this and to look you in the face, even though it's your digital face versus sitting across the table. But I think that, you know, we really have had a chance to take stock and, and reprioritize or prioritize and for me, it's been, you know, a nice way to deeply connect with my family. And it's been hard. Uh, I think all of us have. We've all dealt, dealt with the mental health issues potentially that come with it. But uh, I'm optimistic that we're going to come out strong. And I love hearing stories like yours and your husband's because it does speak to that grittiness and that sort of entrepreneurialship that I think so many, not only Americans, but people around the world embody. And so, and I love the fact that your wish was simple. And that was, you wanted to live a long life and be able to be there for your children. So it's a nice way to end. And uh, with that, I will say this is Aaron Strout, CMO W2O, host of the What to Know podcast show. Kelsey Carroll, who is the founder of Stand Up Stations, uh, former colleague, uh, former Hoya. It's been a real pleasure, Kelsey, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.